And welcome to American Prestige. I'm Danny Bessner here, as always, with my friend and comrade Derek Davison, and we're very excited to welcome to the podcast two actual friends of mine, Rose Reed and Nando Vila. And Rose and Nando are the co-hosts of a really cool new podcast called "Shoot the Messenger: Espionage, Murder, and Pegasus Spyware." That takes us into the world of surveillance, what happened to the journalist Jamel Khashoggi, and much, much more. And we're going to talk about that today. Rose and Nando, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Danny. Thank you for having us. Uh, the prestige heads can't get enough of me. I know that you guys are just flooded <laughs> with messages every day. Begging Bring, back to back. <laughs> Bring back yeah. Vila. Bring back Vila. A little uh, sausage making. I think we mentioned it before, but Nando actually came up with both the idea and the name of the podcast. So uh, okay. Nando is responsible it's and okay. guilty. I got screwed out of the Patreon. If, if we want to yeah, like uh, create one of these like uh, left-wing uh, dramas that are now uh, all the vogue on YouTube, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to record like a four-hour video about how American Prestige is screwing me out of their big, sweet, sweet we're, Patreon We're paying money. you an exposure. We're paying you an exposure. Yeah, right, right. True. Yeah, you, should, yeah. you should be thanking us. Um, yeah. But guys, thank, thank you so much for coming. And why don't we just get into the uh, podcast? First of all, what made you want to do a podcast on this particular subject? Why is it a particularly fecund area of research? What do you think it reflects about the world? And basically, why the hell did you decide to do it? So I can I can provide some of the initial context. Um, this came about because uh, the studio that Rose and I both work for, Exile Content, is run by a guy named Isaac Lee, who is on the board of something called the Committee to Protect Journalists, which is a great uh, nonprofit organization that is a essentially kind of like a watchdog, but also advocacy group for journalists around the world who are being persecuted in some way, shape, or form, and. And, and they actually do really, really good work in, in like, remember when the Jacobin uh, journalist was detained in Turkey or if any journalist anywhere is under threat or, you know, being harassed or being imprisoned, they are, like immediately rise to the occasion and start publishing, you know, uh, you know, information about it online, start uh, lobbying the, the U.S. State Department, things like that. So we wanted to collaborate with them on a project, you know, unclear what it was, uh, about journalism around the world and how it's increasingly under threat. And that's what I brought on Rose, and that's how Rose and I met. She was recommended to me as a killer podcast producer. Um, and she really took the concept and ran with it and started digging in and realized that at the center of threats to journalism around the world was not just kind of your 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 classic cartoon dictator who is just like, you know, throw him in jail. I mean, obviously that does happen. But the kind of more insidious and arguably more structural threat to journalists around the world is the ease with which any authoritarian regime or even non-authoritarian regime can surveil basically anyone um, with journalists and activists being a prime target. Yeah, when I when Nando first brought me on, I asked him for a few weeks just to do some research. And the Committee to Protect Journalists does a lot of work. And one of the things that they do is they issue a, a report every year and they say basically a summary um, of 
journalists who are detained around the world, who have been killed around the world, and they issue like reports and guidelines around like what are the biggest threats. And one of the biggest threats that the CPJ said journalists face today is cybersecurity. And that really, I stumbled over that. I think a lot of us who for the last decade have been watching journalists in Afghanistan, who've been watching journalists like all over the world face very physical kinds of threats. That's what we're used to in our minds. And so when I, when I saw that and I started researching more, I realized that when I put a, diff- a journalist from whether it's Mexico, United Arab Emirates, Jamal Khashoggi from Saudi Arabia, who was living in uh, the United States um, at the time that he was killed when he was visiting Istanbul, um, when you put them all on like, let's say like kind of a homeland map, Pegasus is like one, two or three degrees of separation from all of these different actors. And that's when I learned about this spyware called Pegasus. So I want to talk about Pegasus, but just for a second, for people who might not have thought about this before, why would surveillance be a problem for journalists? It's obviously a problem if journalists get killed. It's a problem if they get kidnapped. Um, but what would surveillance do to affect them? Your sor- it's like three things, your sources, intimidation, or blackmail. That's, those are my three like rosology categories when I, yeah. after researching this, I'm like, oh, those are, and I think for everyone, the threat could be different. Like I think for someone who has like, you know, who's protecting a lot of people, sources for someone who, you know, and I've interviewed someone who was in this situation for someone who is gay in a country where that's illegal, like your personal, um, your, your personal information, like that could be used against you and you could be arrested um, if you're committing adultery or having an illicit affair that's like not on the up and up um, in the country that you're living in. So there's like different ways that this could like impact your life and the people around you. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're an investigative journalist covering sensitive topics and, you know, shining a light in on, on dark, powerful individuals, the key skill you must have the absolute, you know, the number one in the, in the skills that one must have if one is to engage in that kind of work is the um, airtight protection of sources who are giving them the information. I mean, that is just, you know, uh, your, your classic deep throats of the world um, need to be, need to remain anonymous. Um, You know, if a journalist blows their source, uh, like what happened with reality winner or whatever, like that is just, that is the, the central failure of any investigative journalist. And if you understand that your phones are essentially an open highway into your communications um, in the modern world, basically it makes investigative journalism impossible unless you're literally meeting people, um, you know, trying to contacting them through, I don't know, pigeons, uh, you know, like how to, you know, uh, like there's just there, it's, it's, it's almost, uh, it, it almost makes the, the work fundamentally impossible if you're, any, if you're a journalist of any sort of renown, you know, and, and any sort of uh, reputation, um, it just, it just, it just basically means the death of any kind of investigative journalism. So let's get into the story you tell and, and talk about how um, Khashoggi allows you to tell this larger story about Pegasus. So what, does, what, what happened to him for people who might not remember? And what does this reveal about surveillance in particular? 
so Jamal Khashoggi uh, was a, a Saudi, I would call him like a, an activist slash journalist. I mean, he was a, um, he, he, he was a commentator on Saudi affairs, a, I would say liberal-ish, moderate, reform-minded uh, Saudi activist um, and 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 commentator on on you know in, on the international scene, and was a paid columnist uh, for the Washington Post, um, where he wrote regular columns, mostly talking about Middle Eastern affairs, with a mind to kind of you know liberalize uh, a lot of these countries in 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 the gulf i mean he was he was by no means a kind of fire breathing radical he was by no means a leftist or anything like that he was a moderate liberal kind of thoroughly establishment part of the saudi elite but with a view to modernize or reform the saudi state and uh, one day he was uh, in istanbul turkey where he lived and he walked into the Saudi consulate in order to get some, you know, marriage papers to uh, marry his fiance. Um, and he never walked out. And what it became increasing, increasingly clear after a few days of just intense speculation was that he was murdered by the Saudi state um, within the Saudi consulate, and basically his body or body parts, you know, more grisly, were, were smuggled out, and 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 he was obviously never seen or heard from again. It caused a huge international uproar. Um, you know, because it seemed like at the time, and it still does seem like a a a, a Rubicon passing moment for um, what is a major ally to the United States. I mean, they just offed a guy who was an uh, worked for a major <laughs> American publication. Um, again, you know, the, I, I've heard the criticisms, and obviously they're they're one hundred percent true that Saudis are persecuted all the time that that are com- go completely anonymous and absent the Western press. But this was. Just a, a a brazen example of just how little regard um, they they had for any sort of international norms, um, and you know it was a huge flashpoint uh, uh, you know at at the time um, and 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 really does feel still kind of a um, a like I said a Rubicon passing moment um, and uh, through subsequent reporting by several journalists it became increasingly clear that. Jamal Khashoggi's entourage, um, his friends, his family, you know, people close to him, were all infected with Pegasus. That that the in the run up to his murder, um, he was being tracked and essentially hunted um, through digital surveillance. And one other thing I'd like to add to this is when you look at the correspondences that were compromised. For example, Khashoggi had two relationships. Uh, He had his fiance in Istanbul. He also had a woman he had married um, in an Islamic ceremony outside of Washington, D.C. Her name is Hanan Alatar. She was from Dubai and she um, is a flight attendant. And when she realized that she had Pegasus on her phone, she had had Pegasus on her phone for three years, five months overlapping with the the last five months of Khashoggi's life. So when you think about the kinds of information that they would be exchanging at that time, it just gives you insight into what, you know, we assume the Saudi government who had targeted him were looking at. Additionally, his really good friend, who is an is a dissident living in exile in Canada, he had Pegasus on his phone, and it's estimated that there's over 800 text messages between them that were compromised. And one of the things that they were working on 
or talking about was empowering people to be more outspoken on Twitter in response to the regime. And they were thinking about how they could organize because, you know, your Twitter is associated with your phone number. So they wanted to maybe even get SIM cards that they could give to people around the Gulf to be more empowered, to be more outspoken on Twitter. Now, you can imagine if that was like that plan was seen, that could have been fueled to the fire of thinking of him as this quote unquote dangerous dissident. Um, And I think that that's one of the things that we're still trying to put together is what is the motivation and what is the information that they are getting from Pegasus that is motivating these political acts? I would just add to what what you guys have said, and especially what Nando said, this they they were right. I mean, they, 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 the Saudis were right to calculate that they could transgress in this fashion and eventually be mm. uh, rehabilitated. This is all uh, water under the bridge as far as the U.S. government is concerned, as far as the you know the crowd at Davos, let's say, is concerned. Those types of folks. So I think they made a bet that they could get away with this, and and they were right. But uh, let's talk about. Uh, let's move into the surveillance package now. What exactly is Pegasus, uh, and who are the NSO group, this Israeli firm that that was responsible for programming it? Pegasus is military-grade spyware. It's the most sophisticated spyware that's on the market right now. And the way that Pegasus works is there's about maybe 100 vulnerability researchers. That's what they call them. They're engineers and they work in headquarters in Herzliya, like which is the northern part of Tel Aviv in Israel, which is like kind of their Silicon Valley. And um, NSO group, it has about, you know, 800 people in any given day on a good year. And um, 100 of those people, all they do is they just spend their time looking for vulnerabilities in the iPhone or vulnerabilities in Android. So they could maybe... Um, hack into the software of Apple or hack into another kind of app to worm its way into your phone. I kind of think about it like as if your phone was a castle and you had a moat um, protecting it. They find a way to overwhelm the system just long enough where your phone unintentionally kind of lowers the drawbridge and Pegasus can get in. And once Pegasus is in, it's able to kind of delete any traces that it's there. So, and you have to really, it's really hard to find on, on someone's phone. And when they're in your phone, they can use your microphone, your camera. They can use your phone in ways that you can't use it, like a computer, looking at your deleted files, sending information from your phone to another device. It's, um, it's like the ultimate James Bond gadget, if you will. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add that the, what I think is, is, is worth kind of highlighting in terms of, um, the the capabilities of Pegasus. I mean, I think that the probably in people's minds, the most famous phone hacking scandal up until now was the John Podesta hack uh, by the Russians or whatever. You know, the head of the DNC, um, where all where all the DNC emails were leaked. You know, very very funny uh, uh, episode for for us on the left. Uh, the liberals are very mad about it still, but um, you know that was kind of. Uh, what, what I think most people think of when they think of phone hacking in which they send you an email saying like your Amazon delivery is delayed. Click here to see where your package is or, you know, like uh, whatever, you know, like that they trick you into clicking on a link. And then once you've clicked on the link, you're screwed. Right. The, the thing to understand about Pegasus is that you do not need to do anything. 
that there's you that there's nothing like you you can't make a mis- it's not like you make a mistake and then you let Pegasus in. They just they target you and they figure out a way to nuzzle their way in without you. Like if you're like the smart guy who's like, oh, I spotted that fishing link, you know, you're not going to get me Amazon return, fake Amazon return. Pegasus is just is just that's that's you know that's that's like child's play to them. So um, that for one thing, and then the other thing that you know maybe is more of a prestige head thing, and you guys would know even way more about this than than us is that I mean it's obviously the interesting thing is that it's an Israeli firm, private firm, obviously works a lot with the Israeli government, but the you know the clients of it, um, especially in the Khashoggi case, were the United Arab Emirates, um, which again collaboration between the Israeli government and and the Gulf states is a is a story that has kind of been part of the modern world, so to speak, in the last four or five years or, or maybe longer, um, just increasing collaboration, which, you know, obviously something that was previously unthinkable um, is now the norm. And this is just an example that they teamed up to um, target Khashoggi. I mean, <laughs> the, uh, you know, it's pretty wild. Could we talk about that and, and talk a little bit about Israel as this country that has begun to specialize in these types of hyper exploitative technologies and, and the market that has been created within Israel and what you guys have discovered in your research, um, the role Israel plays in this global marketplace of surveillance tech. Because the way that I put it, and I'm no expert, is kind of like Israel functions as one of the major producers of how the empires around the world function, how they use these types of technologies. Is that accurate? Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, he, the our episode three does this kind of 411 and origin story on the NSO group. And so the NSO group has kind of started by two best friends, uh, buddies. They think of themselves as entrepreneurs. Charming little story. Yeah. yeah. It's like a buddy <laughs> yeah, like Best friends story. from high school. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they wanted to do, they wanted to make the, make it in the tech world. It's like after the great recession and they both had kind of stents like selling stuff at malls. You know, they, we all went through that together, I guess. And, um, they created a company that, um, you know, basically helped people with smartphones, like do it. So it was like a customer service for it. Like, you know, you could call someone and they could help you like install an app. And then basically they showed it to someone, they won't say who, um, who said, I was wondering if you could do that without the person knowing. So that is kind of the start of how they left their, their company. They started a new company that was all about, you know, um, spyware that was trying to hack your iPhone or your, your Android without knowing it. And they created, you know, over the course of 10 years, they've really kind of beat out a lot of other beat out or outlasted other competition. And they have what no one else has. They have the talent pool from, you know, the is every Israeli has to serve uh, in the military. Um, and they have a very sophisticated cyber military unit. And they recruit directly from that unit. And they have a lot of competition um, in Israel for, you know, ex, I guess you could call it 8200 or Mossad uh, folks. It's like, what am I going to do after I graduate? You know, I've been like secretly pulling data from Iran for the last three years. I have my pick of the litter. And so the NSO group, if you're, you know, looking to uh, party in Sardinia for your, you know, like Christmas party, or I guess Hanukkah party, um, and, you know, make a lot of money, you know, you can join the NSO group, 
you know, it's very attractive kind of package. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's just one of the funny things to me uh, in, in this process is just like how, like how like tech bro they are. Like it's just like tech bro is, is the same. They're the same, whether they're from Israel or f- whether from the United States or from anywhere, like they have the same kind of, uh, outlook on life. Uh, you know, they talk a little bit about like, you know, like th- they have this cold thing, like no one believed that we, we could do it. Like we were just two guys who founded our <laughs> firm in our garage. Like, they said, yeah, they said we couldn't do it. They said we had to like, look at us. We're changing the world. We're making the world safe. Cause it's like their whole thing is that like, you know, the, the technology is in theory meant to hunt terrorists and criminals and, 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 and things like that. And um, I'm sure like governments do use it for that kind of thing, but you know, they, they do not discriminate um, uh, because it's a private company. Um, you know, their uh, duties is to maximize profit. And uh, you know, if someone, they, they don't ask many questions in terms of like, well, who are you going to use this for? And um, like uh, one of the, one of the episodes that we did was uh, you know, one of the clients of, of Pegasus was, and this was very funny to me personally was, the Spanish government uh, tracking uh, Catalan politicians around the independence referendum. And I was like, man, that is just like the funniest little thing. But like they, they it just shows like they're, they're not, they, they, you know, they don't care. They'll, they'll do whatever, even that one, which is a little bit more innocuous, um, you know, to something like the Khashoggi murder, which was obviously much more serious. This is a naive question, but what are the laws around this? Are you allowed to do this technology according to international law or Israeli law or, you know, the laws in, in which these uh, technologies are being used in the, uh, the laws in the countries in which this technology is being used? Well, I mean, it's it's completely legal. It's not like a clandestine organization. I mean, obviously, they're kind of secretive, but they're not um, uh, they're not they're not like a anonymous or 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 a kind of drug cartel or something like that. They're they're completely above board uh, legally. Um, in in with in terms of like the in, internal laws of Israel, um, they ba- they they basically have to coordinate with the Israeli uh, defense ministry when they when they when they bring on a new client and get like approvals and things like that. And then beyond that, I mean, one of the things that, that, that Rose has looked at is, is they're a private company. They, they take on capital investments from everywhere and things like the Oregon pension fund uh, is, is invested in, in NSO group. I mean, obviously like, you know, Oregon pensioners have no idea um, uh, like where, where their money goes for the most part. But uh, um, you know, it just shows just how, how thoroughly mainstream and, and legal it is that you you know you can invest in NSO Group if you wanted to, um, if you're if you're an institutional investor in the United States without any sort of um, worry in the world. In theory, they are only supposed to sell to governments, you know, um, and you know, like you can't just like if you're you know American Prestige and you really want to take down those bastards at uh, you know Pod Save America or whatever, you can't like hire uh, uh, NSO Group to at, at least not. In theory, um, we, we've already we've already learned this. Actually, we tried. To, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, I should call them behind the scenes stuff. I shouldn't, shouldn't say anything. Yeah, yeah. You you know one thing that um, one thing that I think is really interesting is that it seems like we're at a period where we're about to renegotiate our social digital contract, and our laws haven't really caught up with our lifestyles. Our laws haven't really caught up with the products that we're using. Our laws haven't really caught up 
with the sophistication of by which we're communicating, storing information. And like the phone is kind of an extension of like our mind. And like, it's a combination of our bank account, our communications, our journals, our, our, our letters, our emails. And uh, we don't really have laws that are protecting us in that way. However, we're one of our upcoming episodes, we're seeing something change. And I think everyone with a smartphone will be impacted by this lawsuit that WhatsApp is bringing against the NSO group. You know, we talked about like, how does Pegasus work? And one of the ways that Pegasus figured out it could work is if they wormed its way into a vulnerability in WhatsApp's ringtone. And uh, I don't think they anticipated this, but WhatsApp engineers saw the break-in, the breach in real time. And after that, they, you know, they fixed the loophole, they kicked them out, they issued a public statement, they reached out to all the targets. But then WhatsApp brought a lawsuit against the NSO group, and that was in 2019, and it's worked its way all the way up through the courts. The Supreme Court was on their docket, and the Supreme Court asked the Solicitor General saying, hey, should we hear this case? And the the Solicitor General said, no, definitely don't hear this case. They're not a sovereign immunity. They were trying to get immunity as like, we're for, we work on behalf of governments, therefore we are kind of like a government, you know, status. And everyone said no. And so discovery has started and um, the trial is set. So that should be really interesting to see what happens in the ninth circuit. Like it's basically now in the district court of California. So we might see our big, you know, companies like um, Apple and Google and Microsoft, all these companies, um, they've either filed a lawsuit against NSO or they've supported the case because they don't want, you know, essentially these, this company, the NSO group, is their only product is breaking, you know, into the vulnerabilities of these American products. So it's going to be interesting to see if the private mega companies, these Silicon Valley giants are actually going to help win our privacy. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the NSO group's response to criticism. Um, You guys mentioned this, uh, you started to get into this a little bit. Their their claim is, of course, that um, their software is only meant to be used for good. It's only meant to go after bad guys, terrorists, and uh, you know, criminals and so forth. But uh, how have they responded to the revelation that it's being used to target activists and journalists? Um, and and not just kind of publicly, but what have what have, have they done? Uh, have they taken steps to try and silence critics? My my impression is that they have. Uh, but um, you know, maybe you guys have have. I haven't uh, seen that specifically. Okay. And I will say the NSO group is really interesting on this point. One is, is that they say, if there's abuse or misconduct, we'll shut it down immediately. And they have had examples. Um, not everything is public, but they did shut down the Saudi client after the Khashoggi murder for a period of time. Now they restarted that contract. However, you know, when it comes to other cases of abuse that we know are confirmed, like through Citizen Lab, Amnesty International have confirmed cases, whether that's the inner circle of Jamal Khashoggi or the Catalan uh, independence politicians. Um, in those cases, the NSO group has publicly said that there was no, like, basically they're saying that that's not good information, that that's not accurate. 
They say that they handle cases of abuse. They shut down those clients, but they haven't confirmed which clients those are. They haven't confirmed how many times they've done that. And basically they said like, there's one interview, I think a few years ago where one of the co-founders said that they've cut off three clients, but we have hundreds of cases of confirmed abuse. Now the ratio is an interesting uh, question. So for example, there was a leaked document where um, journalists around the world called the Pegasus Project, like headquartered in France, they had a list of 50,000 numbers. They were able to identify a lot of them, but you know, hundreds of them were journalists or dissidents. Does that mean that there were 48,000 numbers of terrorists or criminals that, you know, they have, uh, the government has for those different countries have gotten, you know, the right mandates and followed all the, you know, kind of correct course with their judge and magistrate to spy for 30, 60 days on someone like El Chapo, which has been confirmed to use Pegasus to kind of target him uh, or his inner circle. And Sean you know, Penn. I don't know. I mean, we all, we, we all know who is really behind that one, Rose. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's our next podcast. Um, but, you know, I think that's a big question is this ratio, you know? Yeah. So uh, have there been – what has the response been? Um, so people who are – uh, aware of these things are aware of them, but sometimes, I mean, I know I'm a pr- pretty unsophisticated consumer and, and I haven't really heard much about this, but have there been public outcries? Have there been government outcries? Have there been anyone who's been trying to really address what's been going on? Because last I checked, and it's been a while, a lot of surveillance law within the United States, a lot of law regarding what police and authorities are allowed to do takes the telephone, like the, the analog telephone as as its model. And we obviously live in a totally different world. So we're in this strange liminal moment, and we millennials are kind of live through it ourselves. So have there been any responses to this? Have people been trying to regulate it or does it seem like we have to throw our hands up and there's nothing we can do? There's been a lot of efforts in many different areas. So for example, Access Now, Amnesty International, the Committee to Protect Journalists, Reporters Without Borders, a lot of organizations um, like that have given guidelines for what they think the next steps should be. Microsoft, Google, Cisco, Dell, LinkedIn, they formed uh, an amicus brief and submitted a petition that, you know, this spyware should really, this the proliferation of the spyware and companies like the NSO group should be banned from the United States. The State Department blacklisted the NSO group um, in like I think December of 2020. And that means not only are they not allowed to sell their products to American, to the American government or to American agencies, but they're not like they had to redo their entire outfit. They could no longer buy Dell computers or Apple iPhones or use hardware or software made by an American company. So there have been a lot of efforts in different arenas, like trying to combat specifically the NSO group and in a way come up with new precedents for how we deal with cybersecurity. Um, I, I just had wanted to follow up on that. I, my understanding is that there's a, an NSO 
subsidiary that does work in the United States? Have they? I mean, <laughs> have the Israelis tried to like get around this by, uh, you know, sort of relabeling or the, uh, not the Israel, I guess, NSO. Have they tried to get around some of the, any of this stuff by, you know, kind of relabeling anything or, or you know, t- trying to fit, you know, find some technicality that lets them do business in the U.S.? That's an excellent question. Uh, so the first half, we have like a 10 episode series covering Pegasus and the NSO group and the proliferation of spyware and what it means for us. And so in the second half of our series, we're going to be taking a much closer look at these different subsidiaries, because one thing that's really interesting about the NSO group is that it is owned by a private equity fund that also has other companies. And so there is an LLC in Luxembourg. There's an LLC in Cyprus. There's an LLC in the United States. So how they work together is still a little bit mysterious. And um, I'm still doing some reporting on how they're all connected. Has any of this had any effect on the U.S.-Israel diplomatic relationship or how the countries interact with each other? Because we are, you know, uh, there's violence going on in Palestine right now. The U.S. government basically is blaming both sides. And at the diplomatic level, U.S. officials don't really want to get involved um, with telling Israel what to do. And moreover, my understanding is they do rely a lot on Israeli tech. So it's interesting that they banned the NSO in December 2020. But have there been any larger implications between Israel and the U.S. regarding this? Well, this is this is pretty fascinating. I think that the alliance between Israel and the United States is pretty strong. And the United States has been very careful and how they basically like, you know, scorn this kind of activity. So they did blacklist the NSO group, um, but they, there had, and that, that was by the State Department, but we haven't seen like Biden specifically call out Israel, let's say, because Israel does approve every sale of the NSO group, but I think they're very careful in directing it at the NSO group and not directing it at Israel. And, you know, One thing that we have seen is that Netanyahu has been using Pegasus as a diplomatic chip to, you know, kind of make alliances with countries that Israel has never really made alliances with before, to work with countries that Israel hasn't really worked with before. It's almost like a, you know, backdoor diplomatic kind of uh, relationship where if Netanyahu visits a country we will see Pegasus being used by that country after his visit. So there seems to be a really interesting correlation there. And from my point of view, it looks to be like he's using Pegasus and working with countries that maybe they don't have like above the fold good relationships with to build this anti-Iran alliance. Uh, In fairness, I think to the U.S., side of this it's not i mean these guys are just hacking everybody's phone it's not like they did something really serious like send a balloon uh, (laughs) well their clients are hacking the phone so well okay okay so even that you know it's another level removed but if they i mean if they had gotten into the balloon game i think you know we would be much (laughs) much harsher about this maybe the balloon would have been smaller it's just funny. It's just funny that like the like no, the the balloon, you know, the, the Pegasus is like infinitely more dangerous than the friggin' balloon. Like, what is the? 
you know, I haven't listened to your you guys. Are, yeah, I'm sure you guys did wall to wall coverage on the on the balloon. Uh, so I don't even. We know. We did what, ten hours. Yeah, yeah, you did ten hours on the balloon. Um, <laughs> like you know, just the the whatever you could see from that stupid balloon like pales in comparison to what you can see by just being able to hack into literally anyone's phone um, and see literally everything they're doing on their phone. <laughs> so that's actually, I literally was the question I was going to ask is why do you think that we don't hear more about this type of thing uh, among the public? What it's it, like you said, the balloon becomes wall to wall news for two weeks and no one talks about Pegasus or any of the spyware programs or the fact that we've effectively given up uh, unwillingly and unknowingly are civil rights. Having spent so much time in this world, why do you think this doesn't have that effect on people? I mean, if if the reaction to Snowden was what it was, I mean, I remember when, when Ed Snowden um, revealed the extent of NSA surveillance on the American public and I remember just being kind of very active in that debate at the time when I was, uh, you know, at a, at a news organization. There was internal. You were debates. in the trenches. Were, I was in the <laughs> trenches, baby. Um, and uh, there was internal debates, like within the news department, but also external debates with other people and things like that. And I, w- I remember just being so dismayed at the public reaction to it. Um, I think most people like in every kind of political sphere in, in, in modern life a lot around the West have been beaten down and kind of are pessimists on, on these questions, um, you know, in general, but I'll, like, I mean, you know, that whether like the world can become better or, or whether politics can actually change anything for the better. I think most people are kind of pessimists on that question. And on privacy, I think that there's been a, a surrender, just a total public surrender on that. And, um, you know, I think uh, again. I think that the the reaction to Snowden is is indicative of that. Um, and you know, this being the internationalization, I would say of of the um, of the Snowden revelations. Right, the Snowden revelations were very focused on 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 the NSA, an American um, intelligence organization, and obviously they could. You know, they had technological capabilities to to surveil people uh, both abroad and, and, and at home. Um, and this basically, Pegasus just basically gives every little country, anyone who wants their own little NSA um, at, at a bargain price. Uh, they don't have to like, you know, do the kind of billions of dollars needed to, to build out the NSA. Um, so I, I think like, again, I, I, I do find it um, somewhat bleak the 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 outlook um of of technology and 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 the public's inability to um you know coalesce around some control over over the technology i mean i think this is something that danny you and i have talked about a lot in private that the tech the technology has advanced so quickly that um the human human capacity to even govern it and oversee it is is lagging behind and and, and, and maybe like irreversibly. Um, and, and, and it just creates like all kinds of like, um, you know, uh, very difficult to, to, to really think about scenarios. And, um, with, the, with, with this, I mean, I think just the, what, what everyone should just know is that if you are doing anything that is sensitive or anything that is, you know, challenging any sort of power, whether it's at home or abroad, you must be incredibly mindful of your phone. I mean, to the degree that you have to become a kind of 
almost insane paranoiac um, and, you, you know, meet with people and, you know, like put the phones in the freezer and then go down the street and meet some like, you know, shit like that. That is just, that is just absolutely um, would make you look like a crazy person just a few years ago. Um, it should become kind of the norm and again, makes the, the actual work all that more difficult. So uh, as we wrap up here, I wanted to just ask a final question is what do you think people should know and what can they expect uh, from your show? And and just so everyone knows, before we wrap up, we're actually going to be uh, dropping uh, an episode of the show on our feed for free. So people who are interested in this conversation should absolutely check it out. It's really excellent. It's based on a lot of reporting and I think it will expose new areas that unfortunately we haven't covered as much as we should have on American Prestige. So just giving the Prestige uh, endorsement to that. Um, But before we go, guys what do you think that that people should take away from just broadly speaking and what can they expect from the show going forward twists and turns uh i mean i just think for me when i re- when i research this and report this it just like blows my mind i feel like nando and i have like a long whatsapp thread that's just like the emoji of like the brain being exploding um but it i think that you know that I, I definitely feel like I was one of those people a year or two ago that like, I didn't care about updating my phone. Um, I thought I, I definitely felt like, Oh, who cares? Like if the NSA is listening to my phone calls, I mean, I wasn't like one of those people, but I can, I, I would get my nails done instead of like, probably like watching like frontline about Snowden, you know? And I, I, and now <laughs> I don't feel that way at all. Um, I, I think that argument I have nothing to hide or I'm not doing anything wrong. Like they're not going to target me. That kind of mentality has really changed. And now I really see how privacy is such an important right. And I, I think that our show, like one thing that's really fascinating about it, like is just learning, you know, the story behind Jamal Khashoggi, learning about how Pegasus works, learning about how the NSO group is connected um, and this global financial web that like none of us can really untangle ourselves away from. Um, learning about that has, you know, made my life richer and more purposeful. And um, I wouldn't say more paranoid, but I feel like I understand like the importance of this a lot more and why it's important for us to to fight for privacy for for everybody, for every single person, and that yeah. we're entitled to. I it. mean, I you know, if I was going to get into more of a sales pitchy type of way. Um, and this is something that I can't really claim credit for because Rose is really taking the lead on on the actual production of the show. But uh, insanely high production value, twists and turns, feels like a spy thriller. Um, you know, it's got like that boom, 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 pulsing feeling of 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 intrigue and and you know taking you through uh, a globe trotting story about clandestine um, uh, surveillance and and international intrigue. Um, you know, um, I'm really proud of the work, um, that the whole team is, has done. I think it, I think people will really, um, latch onto it and, and feel gripped by it because it's, it it really is told in a, in a, in a way that is meant to be engaging and, you know, for lack of a better term, fun. It's not like just a kind of dry lecture about, um, this kind of thing. It's like, it's got first person narratives, characters, the works. Yeah, it's supposed to be entertainment and listen, you know, you can listen with others and it's for all generations. We wanted to make this like for everybody. 
I wanted to make it like a TV show. Just so everyone when every everyone at Thanksgiving dinner can be freaked out about the yeah. fact that their conversations <laughs> yeah. are That's being great. recorded at that very dinner. That's exactly what we want. We want, you know, Uncle Tom and Aunt Janet yeah. being like, no, like, this is what you want to be that guy. You want to be that guy at the Thanksgiving dinner table that's like, they're listening, man. You know, they're listening <laughs> to proof. everything, man. <laughs> and it turns out you know, right. people have been saying that for yeah. a while, but now yeah. it's actually, it's actually true uh so rose reed and nando vila uh thank you so much for joining us everyone again the name of the podcast is shoot the messenger espionage murder and pegasus spyware by prx and excel content studio check it out it has great reviews online and again we'll be dropping it and enjoy that episode thanks for joining us guys thank you guys thanks y'all